Hello. This is the house on Valencia Street, and I'll be your host. I use explicit language. Topics of conversation are going to include ghosts and the paranormal, psychic ability. We also talk about truth here, and you're, the voice talking here has experienced incest and rape. Um, I'm going to be talking about what my family lived through here at the house on Valencia Street. So, Although, uh, let's see what else we're going to talk about. Um, domestic violence, uh, suicide, murder, um, foster care, emancipation, um, <laughs> willful education, uh, therapy, recovery, um, uh, psychology, sure, uh, BDSM, kink, why not? And some of us, we talk about it. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> boundaries. <laughs> uh, self-care uh, self-esteem yeah um dance poetry art uh comedy uh rampant silliness oh watch out for that one uh you might want to jump on the back and go with yeah okay let's see what else uh <laughs> that's some of it how about that i've given you a heads up see some of these topics can be triggering uh, you may or may not feel comfortable with some of these topics. And so we're giving you an option to be responsible to say this, some of this stuff may be discussed here. Um, oh, I use explicit language. I hope I said that at some point. Yeah. Are you going to find out? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so this, these topics can be triggering and you need to make sure that you're consenting. Okay. For example, you can hit the stop button right now, or you could hit the save download button and then you could go over to anchor.fm forward slash MoMA, M-O-H-M-A-H, and then you could click on support. That'd be nice too. All kinds of ways to click on things. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, so use your discernment. Uh, these topics can be triggering. Um, if mental health stuff's kicking up for you, you should be talking to a mental health professional, preferably a board certified one, preferably someone who's got credentials. Maybe you can get a reference or two. If it doesn't fit, go to another one, you know, take care of yourself, get a second opinion. Uh, so if you got mental health stuff kicking up, it's your responsibility to ask for help and also to get help and be responsible if you're accountable. Yeah. So, uh, it's okay to go search for mental health help, and I encourage that, right? Um, so if that stuff's happening, go get them. And that is not me. I'm not a professional mental health therapist at this time. Um, so I'm just someone who's got a case study, one, one's perspective on someone who's lived through some stuff. And I'm going to share with you about this particular house. Now, the house on Valencia Street is a place in Walla Walla, Washington, just about, oh, I don't know, a half mile down from the municipal pool. And then there's some play fields and some soccer and some baseball and softball fields that are nearby too. Um, a school, a hospital, all in the region there, right? Well, actually the hospital got shut down and now it's a rehabilitation center for old people, I think. That's over by the duck pond at the house by Valencia Street there on Valencia Street. <clears throat> um, I spent about... Well, at least three or four years between being a child and being a, in early puberty, living there. Now, the house on Valencia Street was haunted as fuck. And um, three out of four daughters saw ghosts there. And it was real cheap rent, although there was a creeper next door in overalls that kept uh, looking at us a little too often, see? And then the one on the other side, that rental, had a lot of people going in and out of it. One of them murdered himself and, well, actually murdered someone across the state lines in Oregon, came over and killed himself at his house. 
And you always had dogs out there that I always want to take care of, which I guess is why I put 20, 30 years of the Humane Society volunteering after all this stuff. But anyway, <clears throat> the house on Valencia Street was haunted as fuck. Okay. There was things going on there that we couldn't explain that science could not explain. Okay. And it happened. And you've got women in their 60s and me in my 50s still having dreams about this house. So prayer and meditation. Uh, oh, by the way, I also talk about Buddhism, agnosticism, atheism, Christianity, spirituality. That's also part of this podcast here. So um, <clears throat> a lot of stuff happened there. Yeah. Um, and it's still part of me. And my sister and I, I've got two of us are still having dreams about this house uh, 40 years later. <laughs> so um, why not talk about it, huh? I mean, we're thinking about it now and again. We're going to have memories of it. So might as well talk about it some. And heal. It feels good to acknowledge truth and say that happened. And I can't scientifically explain it. And there was no witness, but that happened, right? So um, let's see what else. Because I trust myself and I trust my perceptions of things. And even if I do have perception issues because I'm an incest and rape survivor before my foster care and emancipation, then, um, you know, I can acknowledge that around some areas I may need to pause. But when it comes to <laughs> lights going off and on or plants getting warped and melted or getting slapped in the face out of dead sleep or, you know, these things happened at the house on Valencia street. Okay. Uh, and there was nobody there. See, except for, well, there's somebody there, but they wasn't no physical being. I think Abraham Hicks calls that non-physical entities. She refers to non-physical entities quite a bit because that particular teacher perceives them to be real. See, Anyway, a lot of things to consider. Uh, this particular episode, uh, is there anything else we've got to say? Hey, as I mentioned before, I got a, I got a website. It's called uh, anchor.fm forward slash M-O-H-M-A-H. That's my webpage where you can go take a look at the downloads there. You can read all the copious notes. And also there's a subscribe option there. Uh, five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month. Five bucks, buy me a cup of coffee. 10 bucks a month, well, that'd buy me a meal. Uh, that'd buy me a microphone filter, right? These are options here. I, I encourage and appreciate your support of the pod. Thank you. Um, and me. Ultimately, that's very nice. It helps me feel like the creativity and the beauty and the personality that was my mama that would be paying interest on honoring her and uh, our relationship. Um, anyway, so is there anything else I got to cover in the preamble? <clears throat> got that, got that. Do, do, do. Oh, if you poor, if you broke, and you ain't got no money to go to a therapist, uh, there's options for you. Okay. Um, I'll include a couple 800 numbers in the notes for the suicide prevention hotline and for a mental health there's a sexual assault hotline as well. I'll include those 800 numbers in the notes. So you got options um, to talk to people. Also 12 step there. Those are free meetings. And what's a 12 step meeting? Well, if you go to Google, you type in adult children of alcoholics phone meetings, you can go to a phone meeting or adult children of alcoholics, uh, you know, zoom, or you could probably find something that way. Um, so ACOA is one 12 step meeting uh, that a uh, group I've been a member of for decades. Um, and, Alan on to put a, a deck about two decades into that one too. Um, those are meetings for people who uh, live with an alcoholic or an addict and love them. And I want to apply the 12 steps to themselves because they're, uh, they're a code of ethic, you know, 12 steps. And um, you learn how to do things like uh, when you're wrong, promptly admitting it. Yeah. And now the different, depending on the group, uh, I was in a group of Alan on people that uh, for many years that they did a lot of things well, but the, personal apology and amends stuff 
not so much. Yeah, I had to learn that better in other groups. So that being the case, I did learn about um, detachment and how to do that better. Um, one of my one of my favorite twelve step documents is a flyer called Detachment from Al-Anon, and it's just a well, I don't know, it looks like a bookmark size, about the size of a bookmark. And it talks about, here's simple detachment, just breaks it right down. And I have consulted that thing, that little flyer for decades, because sometimes you just need to go, okay, is this healthy? And you kind of run it through there and you go, okay, yeah, it kind of fits, right? So detachment with love is what the Allen Honors call it. So, and there's AA, there's Alcoholics Anonymous, there's Gamblers Anonymous. I'm a, I'm a compulsive gambling addict. Uh, I haven't gambled in over a decade. Uh, that took a year of therapy and a couple years going to a meeting that was an hour and a half of driving a week uh, to get to it. Why? The local GA groups had a lot of relapse and they weren't very healthy. And it took me half a year to a year to surmise that. And then I had to figure out where to go to a healthy meeting with my agoraphobia and my social anxiety disorder and my old car and that, you know, I, I keep it maintained, but, you know, things break down now and again. So, you know, driving an hour and a half a week, I needed it. I wanted that serenity. I wanted that calm. And that's how I did it. That was one of the ways I did it. There's a hundred ways to do it. Hell, you can go out and drink yourself to death and gamble yourself to death too. By the way, did you know that one of the highest suicide rates of any addiction is gamblers? Uh, gamblers many times uh, kill themselves. Uh, you know, or, uh, that's oh, I just said something wrong. I apologize. I just made a mistake. I apologize. That did, I did not say that very well at all. I should probably edit that out. Um, <laughs> I can say that better. Gambling addicts have a higher percentage of suicide rate per capita of people in that particular addiction pocket than other comparative uh, addiction groups statistically. Um, the original research on this that I was looking at, I haven't evaluated for 10 to 15 years, uh, but I did look through a couple different studies doing comparisons between different addictions and their suicide rates. And uh, GA, definitely, uh, there are some people that have a couple issues with that. So, um, and this is the thing, there's not, um, this is the thing that people get mixed up with uh, gambling addiction. It's a compulsive behavior and people think it's about money and it's about action. Um, I remember reading a review from Roger Ebert discussing Philip Seymour Hoffman's movie. I can't remember the name of the movie, uh, but it came out about 10, 15 years ago. It was about a compulsive gambler Philip Seymour Hoffman played. He was a high-end gambler, and it was based on a true story of a high-end gambler. This guy was the whale uh, in gambling. A whale is someone with a lot of money who's going to be betting tens of thousands of dollars. Okay. And casinos like whales and casinos will bend over backwards to give them anything. Okay. Sometimes they'll pay to fly them in. Sometimes they'll pay to, you know, they'll have a whole floor that's a suite. Okay. You know, with all kinds of stuff. So, uh, because they're going to make a hundred K off that head. And so if they put in 10, 20, you know, if they put in 10, 20 K a year, taking care of that person, well, if they get several hundred thousand out of that, that's a good investment, right? With all those comps and PR, right? Or not PR. Is it PR? Comps, I guess I would say. So um, <clears throat> Roger Ebert wrote a review and Roger Ebert is a, a Pulitzer prize winning writer who is a movie critic. Okay. Siskel and Ebert off of PBS. Um, I remember him writing about Philip Seymour Hoffman and talking, this is before I became a gambling addict. I remember reading this review and hearing this review and then I became a gambling addict after mom died. But Roger Ebert was talking about people misunderstand what gambling addiction is. They think it's about the money. 
and it's action. It's the adrenaline rush action that keeps it going, which means that sometimes it doesn't matter if I'm betting a dollar. It doesn't matter if I'm betting $25. If I have a, a adrenaline kick and a rush and I don't understand and I'm taking a risk, that might be the drug right there, right? I may or may not be conscious of that. Another comparison I would make is um, some people come to you and say that they've got a desire or need they want to work out with you. But you'll find that they're contradicting you frequently, they're interrupting you, they're invalidating what you're saying. They call that gaslighting in some circles, see? So you'll be sitting there going, we agreed to do this task together, but their behavior is counter in every way to the task we agreed that we were going to do, right? And then, so they may not be conscious of it or they may not be honest about it, but what their real motivation is, is the addiction is the cruelty. The addiction for them is the contrary behavior. The addiction is argumentation, right? And it's rare that someone's going to acknowledge that they, oh, I get off on arguing. Nobody's going to tell you that. They're just going to show you that, right? So <laughs> then you might spend a couple years in therapy so you can take a look at your perception issues and go, oh, focus on the actions, not on the words necessarily, because the words could be utter bullshit, but the actions tell you pretty clear what's going down. See? Okay. All right. What's next? Um, anyway, I'll monitor around. But the point was, I didn't even tell you. Oh, I did tell you. Roger Ebert's assertion about gambling addiction. Um, he said this in the article, and I remember reading this before I became a gambling addict, which was, people assume it's about the money. It's not about the money. It's about the action. Okay. And then after mom died, and it was like, yep, it's about, you know, you just want to get lost in the sensation, you know. And so the money's just a means to an end. The money's just a means to keep the rush going. Right. So, okay. Um, thanks for listening to all that. And I guess at the house on Valencia street, we talk about recovery and healing and part of it's just acknowledging what you are. Right. So, um, one thing I evaluate on a regular is that I play free slot machines and sometimes I'll just tune out and check out and I can fuck off for a half hour playing. Oh, let's play that game. Oh, let's play the hot link game. Oh, let's play that game. Oh, that's a progressive. And it's all free and it's all virtual. And I, I made a commitment to myself over a decade ago that I wasn't going to gamble with anything of value. These days I might spend some time playing free games. Time is valuable, but I don't do money or anything that can perceive a, a tradable object of value, like money or what have you. Um, so I still feel like I can waste some, I can waste some time just sitting there smoking some weed and playing on the slot machine. But you know what? I'm not putting myself at risk. I'm not in a casino. I'm not gambling money. And this week I've gone to a 12 step meeting. Okay. So it's all balanced, right? Uh, that might take some time for you to dial it in with you and uh, trying to figure out how to be healthy with y'all within a range. Right. So, okay. A couple things to bring to you today. Um, the first is you're going to hear a second voice on this podcast this week, and, uh, that's coming up. That'll be towards the end there of the podcast. Um, that's coming up and I'm grateful to have found the inspiration to bring that to you. Um, and getting in the mood for this today, I'm also going to share a bit. This is, I'm riffing on this one is improv. I was trying to get in the mood, you know, to record this. So I did my meditation. Um, although I have to be honest, I fell asleep this morning in meditation, which then the question is, does it count? Is it really a meditation? Because part of me goes, 
well, it was such an effective meditation, I fell asleep. I must have been relaxed. But the other part of me goes, yeah, but your conscious brain isn't really focusing. And the whole goal with spiritual alignment is focus. Therefore, so uh, I did get my meditation out of the way, but I, I fell asleep in the middle of it. So I don't know if that counts, but it happened. Okay. So that's my inventory. I'm working. Uh, sticking. That's my story. I'm sticking to that story. Okay. Next up. Uh, so getting prepared to do this, I'll do things like, well, what kind of music did this relative like to listen to? Or what kind of artwork did this person like to, you know, what, let me look at some pictures of them, you know, so I'll look at the house and I'll, I'll kind of ruminate a little bit, drink my decaf coffee while I'm, you know, uh, eat my granola stuff while I'm sitting there kind of looking and ruminating. And today what came out was um, my mama Darlene, who was a savior, uh, um, She's the person that brought us some of this harm and also, well, just to survive, you know, she's responsible for some of it, although she survived and she was strong and a bunch of people were telling her that she didn't matter and she showed that she did. And I'm proud of her for showing me that. See, she moved out of state and got away from him and she just had what she had on her back, you know, her basic, you know, room and boards and clothes and stuff like that. She paid that stuff, but she didn't have a lot, had a car and some boxes of stuff. But uh, when she left for Arizona to get away from Howard. Howard was a supervisor at the post office. He liked to beat us into the hospital and threaten to kill us on a regular basis. And Walla Walla is a place where everybody was just fine with it. So I'm talking about it. And at least four different cops came to the door before I was five years old. And they turned their backs and walked away and let him beat us some more. He, that's what they did. That's what they did in Walla Walla then. So um, I'm not going to say everybody there is like that. I'm not going to say that 40 years later, things haven't changed. I'm just telling you that this actually happened. Thank you for listening. Okay, next up, getting ready for this, I was listening to Roger Whitaker. Now, Roger Whitaker is a fellow that was popular. He's a singer. He was popular 70s and 80s and 60s, right around then. Um, my mother loved listening to Roger Whitaker, and he's got a, a voice that is amazing. Um, the structure of his songs a lot of times is a bit ballad-like and a bit preachy. Um, there's a lot of kind of over the top horns and sometimes symphonies and orchestral stuff behind his music. And there's a reverence to his voice. The thing is, I may not necessarily like the structure of his music sometimes because it's a little dated or what have you. Sometimes it's racially insensitive. I'll share an example of that, uh, coming up here, but his voice is like a baritone and it's, it's like warm coffee with warm milk. It's like chocolate, hot chocolate and um, strength and like a strong oak tree. I mean, his voice is so beautiful. <laughs> and I kind of forgotten that, you know, because mom would listen to his music and mom went and saw this Roger Whitaker perform. And I remember telling me he's shorter than I thought he was. Um, and, uh, you know, that'd be the case, you know, she wasn't criticizing him, but she, he has this huge voice that sounds like this voice of God, you know, this very kind of resonant kind of vibrating voice. It's very much like a James Earl Jones kind of a depth to it. And, um, here she is seeing this fellow and she's like, well, you know, I'd imagine this big, strong cape, you know, and he's just like five foot five getting up there on a stool with his guitar, you know, just normal looking guy, you know. <laughs> And um, she admired him a lot. She listened to him quite a bit. Um, 
Roger Whitaker. What are you going to know Roger Whitaker for? Uh, the only song that he really had that I remembered, because I was listening to a playlist before I got on the pod here. Uh, there's a song he had called I Don't Believe in If Anymore. I Don't Believe in If Anymore. And it's about being a soldier and being told that you're going to conquer this thing and then being told, he says, it, it's an illusion. I don't believe it anymore. And that's the song. And it's a beautiful song. And um, I love it. But the one you might know is... Um, <clears throat> I've got to leave old Durham Town. He has a song called Durham Town, and it's talking about leaving Durham Town. And the main song is him essentially repeating that over and over again through different tones. This is where you can admire him as a musician because the lyrics are a little mm, repetitive. The background's a bit sappy. The thing is he orchestrates it, writes a song, so it's in all these kind of uh, minor... Um, scales and when he sings it there's a tonality to it that's just beautiful kind of like when you're listening to someone going you've got this rich velvety syrupy voice that could wrap up and do a hundred things and make it look right and while some of this isn't quite fitting my style or my tone or what have you i recognize this voice is just amazing it's rich and velvety it's amazing um so I was warming up thinking about mom and thinking about bringing her to the podcast today. And then I looked up Rich, Roger Whitaker. Turns out he was born in Kenya. Turns out uh, he was English and Kenyan. And um, he has a love of that. And I was watching a dog and then I went to see a documentary of him in Kenya, his homeland. Um, it turns out that his parents experienced violence uh, later in life. Um, uh, in Kenya, as a mature adult, his retired parents were attacked by four men. Uh, the mother was tortured for over eight hours. The father was tortured and murdered. And then the mother moved from Kenya to England to be with Roger Whitaker. And he said in interviews, I was reading about this because I didn't know about it uh, till today. Uh, he was saying that uh, it, this action and this event had changed him for the rest of his life. And it was one of the most strong experiences he had even though he loved Kenya and he went back to Kenya after some of this happened, you know, it was um, really interesting. It gave a lot of depth to my perception of this person. So um, thank you, Roger Whitaker. And thank you mom for bringing me Roger Whitaker so I could ruminate on these old fashioned songs and, um, and hear him from a, a bunch of time before. Also Roger Whitaker is into whistling, which, you know, I don't know of anybody who's got a song where they were known as a whistler. You know, kind of like uh, Lizzo, who just got an Emmy this past week. I worship you, Lizzo, and I thank you, Lizzo, and I worked out to your music this week, Lizzo, and uh, I'll listen to your voice all day long, Lizzo. Anyway, uh, she's got over six Grammys. She's got a couple Emmys this week for her documentary, uh, Make Room for the Big Girls. And... Um, what was I thinking about her with her Oscars? I th well, she might get an Oscar. She might get a Tony. Then she's going to be an EGOT. She's going to maybe be, she's halfway to an EGOT, right? There's only so many performers that got EGOT status that have uh, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, right? EGOT. So um, I think Lizzo might be getting to it. And uh, either way, I, I just think she's fa fantastic. And let me praise Lizzo. But back to the... Uh, Something about her voice and Roger Whitaker, I was comparing it to, and her performance, and I've completely lost the thread. Anyway, there's some musicians that are quite diverse uh, that uh, may bring some joy to your life. 
And um, <clears throat> in rounding that out, I think I'm going to go ahead and round out this episode. It might be a little shorter than most, um, but I want to share a voice with you. It's about 20-year-old recording, and I'm going to round out the episode today with her voice. Um, I had to edit out my name uh, for anonymity, um, so there might be a little bit of choppiness to it. But here's a little slice of Darlene uh, when she's relaxing. And you might hear some snorting in the audio that's coming up here. Uh, that's a little Tawny Pug. Um, and that Tawny Pug was a, a well-loved member of our family. So if you hear some snorting in this recording, it's not my mom. It's, it's actually the Pug. At least that's what she tells me. So well, that's what she told me before. So... <laughs> Now, personally, I will snort frequently, and usually I'm pretty happy when I'm snorting. So maybe the pug and I got some things in common there. Um, she, Mama used to call her my sister. I did not enjoy that. Mama sit there and go, well, you know, I got your sister here. And he, she'd say that about, she'd sit there and compare us and say, this is your sister. You know, I, I'm taking care of your sister. And I'd say, Mama, I am not a canine. Don't be, you know. And then she'd laugh, and it was just a stupid joke she'd do. Anyway, that's who's snorting in this audio coming up here. So while I round this out, thank you for coming to the house on Valencia Street where we ruminate about an old haunted house and some people that lived in it. And um, please know that you're not alone and you ain't never going to be alone. And sometimes it's whether you like it or not. Yeah. All right. Take care. Hey, you want to talk now or you're not speaking to me? If you do, give me a call. I'm in the bedroom with a a four-legged whiz, whizzer. Okay.